0: I'm going to continue in John chapter 13 this morning, and uh, if you have a Bible, you can open to verses 21 to 30. There should be an outline uh, that you can tear out of your bulletin. There are full-printed manuscripts at both exits, and those are available on the church website also. Going back um, as far as 22 years' worth, and... uh, The audio messages are on the website as well. Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples on the night in which he is betrayed. So it's just hours before his arrest and crucifixion. Um, Jesus has just um, mentioned that one, or or mentioned that... um, the scripture would be fulfilled that he who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. He has warned the disciples that this is going to come about. And now he gets more specific. Verse 21. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another and at a loss to know of which one he was speaking. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved, so Simon Peter gestured to him and said to him, Tell us who, is, who it is of whom he's speaking. He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Then Jesus answered, That's the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he had dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. After the morsel, Satan then entered into Judas, or into him. And therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. Now no one of those reclining at the table knew for what purpose he had said this to him. For some were supposing that because Judas had the money box that Jesus was saying to him, buy the things that we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. So, after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was night. I'm not a uh, country music fan, but sometimes of necessity when I'm driving a long distance on the highway and you're, Surfing surfing through all the channels you can pick up that's about the only thing on the radio and so I'll listen for a short time but you don't have to listen very long until you'll hear a song somewhere along the lines of you know I loved her, but she didn't love me and now I'm as sad as I can be and they strum on in their three chord uh, melody and so on but You know, you chuckle at the songs and at the corny words, but if it's ever happened to you, you know that it is not a laughing matter. It is extremely painful when you love someone and they do not return your love, or even worse, they do something that really hurts you. And of course, it can happen not only in romantic relationships, but also in same-sex friendships, and it is painful when a dear and trusted friend turns against you, perhaps spreads false rumors about you, attacks you. It's got to be one of life's most emotionally difficult trials to go through. And to relate to that kind of emotional pain is to relate in part, not in full, but in part, to why Jesus became troubled in spirit as he thought about Judas in the upper room on that night in which Jesus uh, was betrayed. Now, there are <clears throat> other things besides Judas's calloused heart that caused Jesus trouble, and we'll look at those later in the message. But Jesus was troubled not only with the pain of Judas's betrayal, But I think because he knew, Judas was now leaving the light, the light of the world, Jesus. Judas goes out, and when John makes the comment there in verse 30, and it was night, I believe that he is commenting on more than the time of day. He is making a statement that Judas is walking away from the light into the night of hell. He is going away from the one who is the truth into eternal error. And it's always night when a person rejects God's love through Jesus Christ and goes out into eternity without God. And it was especially night when Judas, who elsewhere is called the son of perdition, betrays the spotless Lamb of God into the hands of uh, evil men. Now, to understand our text, you have to get out of your mind the picture that is so well known of Leonardo da Vinci at the Last Supper, where all the disciples are seated on one side of a table, and they're all looking down at Judas. Um, That painting, famous as it is, is historically incorrect. Uh, Instead, the men... We're all reclining at a low table. Uh, we sat at those kinds of tables when we were in the, the uh, Central Asia with our daughter. And you can't get your legs under them. They're only about this high off the, the floor. And the men were reclining on their left elbow or arm so that they, with their heads in toward the table and their feet out so that they could eat with their right hand. Uh, The table was in a U-shape with Jesus at the uh, bottom of the U. Probably John was to his immediate right because here John could lean back onto Jesus' chest and whisper to him, as he does in verse 25, Lord, who is it? Peter is apparently sitting across in one of the arms of the table from John so that He catches John's eye and can gesture to him, find out who it is. And um, probably, this is not certain, but I think likely, Judas was immediately to Jesus' left. That was the seat of honor. And this would have been a final gesture of love from Jesus to Judas to sit him at the seat of honor next to Jesus, who was in the main place of honor, but in um, Matthew 26:25, it tells us that Judas says to Jesus, "Surely it is not I, Rabbi." And Jesus answers, "You have said it yourself." Now that had to be a private conversation uh, because the other disciples here, when Judas goes out, don't know what's happening. They don't suspect Judas. They think he's going out either to buy more food for the feast or to give some money to the poor, as John reports. And so that conversation had to be whispered between Jesus and Judas. And so probably then Jesus just leaned back to Judas. And uh, as Judas whispered in Jesus' ear, surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus said, you've said it yourself. Um, <clears throat> Now, if G- Judas was there just to Jesus' left, you can see how Jesus easily could have handed Judas the morsel. The morsel, or it's called the sop in the King James Bible, was a piece of bread that would be dipped in a sauce and then handed to the guest of honor, again, as a gesture of love and honor. And so Jesus, right to the end, is holding out to Judas his love for Judas an invitation to judas to repent and yet jesus i mean judas goes out into the night to betray jesus now there is a mystery here that no one can explain but you have to hold both of these items in tension on the one hand as we saw up in verse um, 18 judas was betraying jesus in fulfillment of scripture In that sense, what Judas did was foreordained. On the other hand, Judas was responsible for what he did. Both are true. God is sovereign. Man is responsible. And so Judas here could not blame God and say, You ordained it. He could not blame Satan and say, You made me do it, even though the Bible says here, that satan entered into judas and empowered him to do this terrible deed the point is judas was responsible for what he did and after satan enters judas jesus, jesus ratifies judas's evil choice in verse 27 by saying what you do do quickly now there are two themes as you meditate on these verses that emerge, one is the light of Jesus in his glory and the other is the darkness of Judas in his sin. And so <clears throat> the main idea is that G- Judas's betrayal of Jesus gives us a deeper understanding of Christ's glory and also a deeper understanding of the depths of human sin. You might say that Judas's betrayal is like the black velvet that a jeweler would display a diamond on. It makes the diamond shine all the brighter, but it's still black. And so Judas's sin is the blackness, Jesus' glory is the diamond. But let's look first at Christ's glory, how Judas's betrayal of Jesus gives us a deeper understanding of Christ's glory. And there are at least five sides here of Jesus' glory that shine through in this story. First of all, there is Jesus' glory. We see it in his inscrutable wisdom in choosing a man like Judas to be one of his disciples. In the aftermath of Judas' betrayal, you can imagine that the disciples had a lot of confusion. Why would Jesus pick a man like Judas to be an apostle. Uh, Didn't Jesus know Judas's corrupt heart? Didn't Jesus know the character flaws that were inherent in Judas? And if he didn't know, then that might impugn Jesus' credentials as Messiah. But if he did know, then why would he choose such a despicable character as Judas? Judas to be an apostle. Well, we know from other scripture that before Jesus chose the apostles, he spent the entire night in prayer to God. So he did not make a mistake. He knew what he was doing. We also know, and John's gospel has repeatedly emphasized this, that Jesus said he was sent to this earth to fulfill the will of the Father. He had a mission. He was sent. And that mission was that he would die on the cross as the Lamb of God to atone for our sin. And so, in order for that plan to be fulfilled, Jesus knowingly chose Judas as one of the twelve. Remember back in John chapter 6, verses 70 and 71, we saw then that Jesus back then knew that Judas would betray him. John six seventy. Jesus answered them, Did I myself not choose you the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? No, he meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. And then up in verse 18 of our chapter there, uh, we saw... That Jesus said Judas' betrayal was so that the Scripture, Psalm 41.9, might be fulfilled. He who eats my bread has lifted up his heel against me. <clears throat> now, as we've seen again throughout um, John, Jesus came to do the Father's will. And at the center of that will was the cross. And for the cross to happen... There had to be the betrayer. And so, Jesus' choice of Judas as an apostle uh, was in obedience to the Father. He knew what would happen. He knew Judas' heart. He knew that this all would lead to the cross at the moment that God had ordained. But none of the disciples got it. As we've seen, when Jesus even told them plainly, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die. They didn't get it. Their their eyes were uh, blind to that until after the resurrection, and so they probably could not understand why would Judas, Jesus choose Judas, and uh, I think it just underscores a fundamental truth. In Isaiah fifty five verse eight, it says that God's ways are not our ways, God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And we often don't understand why God does what he does and how God accomplishes his overall purpose. And there's an application here for us, and that is this. Many times you will not understand why God is doing what he's doing in your life, especially in a difficult trial. You just don't get it, and you won't get it until maybe you're in heaven. But that's where trust comes in, that you have to trust. God is the sovereign God. He never makes a mistake. Even in picking a Judas, Jesus did not make a mistake. He knows what he's doing. It is all for God's purpose and God's glory in God's plan. And so you have to trust him. And so <clears throat> Jesus' choice of Judas then displayed Jesus' glory in this uh, inscrutable, wise way. A second way we see Jesus' glory in choosing uh, Judas is Judas' later testimony to Jesus' innocence. Later, <clears throat> after Judas had done this, you know the story. Uh, he testified in his remorse in Matthew 27 four. I have sinned By betraying innocent blood. Now, you know when you do something wrong, usually when you get caught in it, you, you try to blame. That's just the human way. Well, yeah, I might have done that, but, you know, he provoked me. And you come up with a good reason why you did what you well know was wrong. It's interesting, though, Judas couldn't come up with a single reason to blame Jesus for what he did. Not one. He couldn't say well yeah I betrayed him. But you know he was a deceiver. Or he he did such and such. Or no he just he had to confess. I betrayed innocent blood. Jesus was totally innocent. And as you know Jesus himself. Rhetorically asked his enemies back in John 8 46. Which of you convicts me of sin? They couldn't. They had no basis to convict Jesus of sin. He was pure. A third way we see Jesus' glory is in his deity and his humanity juxtaposed. We see Jesus' deity here in these end events in that he was in sovereign control over all of the events leading up to his own death. He said back in John 10, verse 18, regarding laying down his own life, he said, No one has taken it away from me. But I lay it down of my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Uh, This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus was in control over the Jews. They were saying, not at the Passover. We don't want a riot. But God's sovereign eternal plan was that his Passover lamb would be slain at the Passover. And so the Jews thought they were in control of killing Jesus, but... God was behind the scenes orchestrating it at the precise ordained time. Jesus was in control of Judas, and when he betrayed him, as seen in Jesus' comment in verse 27, what you do, do quickly. So Jesus is clearly sovereign God. And yet at the same time, we see Jesus' humanity here. He is troubled in spirit. Judas's defection deeply bothered Jesus. And what that means is, even though Jesus was in sovereign control, he was not just a stoic actor going through the the play, but he was affected in his emotions as a man. Uh, We read in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7 that Jesus offered up uh, prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears. He was not without emotion as he went to the cross. He was fully human as well as fully God. A fourth way that we see Jesus' glory was in the trouble that he went through for our souls. And here, <clears throat> I can't say it better than John MacArthur in a sermon where he listed many reasons that Jesus was troubled in spirit. And so I'm going to quote his comments here. MacArthur says, he was troubled because of the unrequited love of Judas. He was troubled because of the ingratitude in Judas's heart. He was troubled because he had a deep hatred of sin and it was sitting right next to him, sin incarnate. He was troubled because he was shrinking from contact with the one he knew was about to betray him. He was troubled because he knew the eternal destiny in hell. He was troubled because he could see with his omnipotent eye Satan moving around Judas. He was troubled because he had a knowledge of the sin of the betrayer and the terrors of his eternal punishment. He was troubled because he sensed all that sin and death meant. Uh, <clears throat> he was troubled Because he had an inner awareness that Judas was a classic illustration of the wretchedness of sin. Sin which he would have to bear in his own body on the next day. Sin for which he would be made responsible and would die for. And to make it more personal, Jesus endured all of that trouble for you and for me to secure our salvation. And that shows his glory. And so, <clears throat> we see Jesus' glory in his inscrutable wisdom in choosing one like Judas to be an apostle. We see it in Judas' testimony to Jesus' innocence. Uh, we see it in the, um, Jesus' deity and humanity juxtaposed. We see it in the trouble that Jesus went through for our souls. And then finally, we see Jesus' glory in his patience and his love toward Judas. Uh, right to the very end. Even though Jesus knew that Judas would betray him, he didn't kick him out of being an apostle. And as I said, it's likely here at the Last Supper, he seated Judas right next to him in the place of honor as a last gesture of love to Judas. Um, He honored him again by giving him the morsel Another way that Jesus showed his patience and love is he didn't let the other disciples know about Judas until right at the very end. In other words, sometimes when somebody you know is kind of going to betray you, you might tell others to get them in your camp and on your side. Uh, The other disciples, they couldn't figure out who it was which shows that Jesus showed Judas the same patience and the same love that he showed the other 11. Uh, Again, there is a mystery here that we can't comprehend how Jesus knew that Judas was predetermined to be the betrayer, and yet Jesus, I believe, genuinely loved Judas. He washed Judas' feet. He included him right to the end in the place of honor, Uh, I believe he was appealing to Judas right to the end, Judas, repent and believe, and yet Judas did not. But you know, we see Jesus' glory the same way today. The Bible says that Jesus endures the hostility of sinners against him. And yet he holds out to every sinner right to the end the offer of mercy. And repentance through repentance and and of salvation by grace through faith. I don't know about you, but sometimes when I hear or read the blasphemies that people level against Jesus, I just want to cry out, Lord, just nuke them, you know, blast them off the face of this earth. These evil people don't deserve to live. Wipe them out. And I know the imprecatory psalms are there, and sometimes they are psalms you pray at such times. But uh, the day will come when God will bring judgment. Second Peter 3.10 talks about that. Peter says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, that is, unannounced, it'll come surprisingly, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, And the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. But then you just back up one verse and Peter explains why that day hasn't come yet. He says, the Lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness. Here it is. But he's patient toward you. Not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. And if you're here this morning and you've never repented of your sins and trusted Christ, that verse is directed to you. He patiently waits. He patiently extends to you the offer of mercy. But one day, it will be too late. Just this week, my sister emailed me and the man who was at my dad's funeral, 58 years old, he was the Property manager of my dad's apartments, he dropped dead on Tuesday of a heart attack, age 58. You know, when he was at my dad's funeral, he heard the gospel. I hope he responded. He had an opportunity right to the end, but he didn't know when the end would be. And now he's in eternity. So, we see Jesus and Judas. We ought to grow deeper in seeing the glory of our savior but then we have to look at the other side for a moment and that is that Jesus's I mean Judas's betrayal of Jesus should give us a deeper understanding in in the terrible depths of human sin let me share with you why that's important by quoting Martin Lloyd Jones one of my favorite authors he made this observation it is people who have the deepest understanding of sin and what it means, who have the greatest understanding and apprehension of the love and the grace and the mercy and the kindness of God. A superficial view of sin leads to a superficial view of salvation and to a superficial view of everything else. And then in a similar vein, in a different book, he wrote this. In order to examine, or measure, I should say, the love of God, in order to measure the love of God, you first have to go down before you can go up. You do not start on the level and go up. You have to be brought up from a dungeon, from a horrible pit. And unless you know something of the measure of that depth, you will only be measuring half of the love of God. Do you see what he's saying? God has to convict you and show you, whoa, you know, he brought me up out of a a horrible pit, out of the miry clay to set my feet on the rock. And then you can appreciate the great love of God. So I want to take us down, so to speak, by looking at five lessons from Judas's sin. And hopefully the net effect of this will be that we will all say, Whoa, the love of God is far greater than I ever knew and appreciated. First of all, as mentioned, Judas shows us the awful nature of sin. Now, before we all start throwing stones at Judas and say, my goodness, how could he do such a terrible thing? We need to recognize that before the grace of God met us, those seeds of betrayal were in our hearts as well. We all were Judas's by nature. And we all would have done what Judas did had not God intervened and shown mercy to us. But you think about what Judas had witnessed during his three years of ministry with Jesus. He was in the inside circle of the twelve where when the multitude said, we don't understand the parables, the twelve Said, what, what did you mean by that in private? And Jesus explained it. Judas was there. So he heard Jesus' teaching in public, he heard it explained in private. He had witnessed almost all of Jesus' miracles. He had seen Jesus showing grace and love to the ungrateful and the unlovely. He, as mentioned, had never seen one hint of sin in Jesus whether in public or, for that matter, in private, quite a testimony. And yet he betrayed Jesus to uh, the Jewish authorities for a few measly pieces of silver. James Boyce makes the observation that Judas teaches us that sinners need more than a good example in order to be saved. Judas had the best example who's ever walked on this planet. But what we all need is the new birth. We need the Holy Spirit to give life to us while we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And unless the Spirit quickens us, we sang that in that one great hymn we opened up with, Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night, thine eye diffused a quickening ray. Quickening means life-giving ray. I woke The dungeon flamed with light, my chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose and went forth and followed thee. That's what we need. And apart from that, sinners cannot repent, they cannot believe in Jesus, they cannot reform their lives. That's why Jesus told a very religious man, Nicodemus, in John 3, 7, Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. Relating to religious sinners like Nicodemus, I think Judas shows us a second lesson. And that is that Jesus supplies religious sinners with a solemn warning. Judas is one of many warnings in the Bible to religious people. Judas was a religious man. You have to understand that. That's why he followed Jesus. He was a religious Jew, as were The men who crucified Jesus. But the fact is, religious people are often the most blind to their need for the new birth. You know, they were raised in the church. Uh, They can quote scripture, they know the Bible verses, they can tell you the message, Uh, they have served in various ministries. Sometimes they even have theological training, they know how to debate the points and arguments. But there's one missing thing. Like Judas, they've never repented of their sin. They've never seen themselves as a sinner needing a Savior. I think a man in the Bible who is Exhibit A is the Apostle Paul. He goes on there in Philippians 3 about his credentials as a Jew. Why? He was the top of the ranks. He was progressing in his faith More than any other, he was zealous in persecuting that radical, uh, heretical in his mind, church. And yet, God had to bring him down on the Damascus Road to the point where he later said, all of that religion was refuse. It was trash, it was garbage, it was dung. I just counted all as loss for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And so, this is directed to those of us, and I am one, who grew up in the church. Even though you grew up in the church, and maybe you haven't been blowing up innocent people like those evil terrorists in the Middle East, and you haven't been doing all kinds of other horrible crimes, the Bible is clear, everyone needs the new birth. Because we're all sinners. Some of us are hypocritical, self-righteous sinners. We look pretty good outwardly. Some of us are more, everybody would agree, yep, there's a sinner, all right. And wherever you're at on the spectrum, the fact is you're a sinner and there's one Savior and his name is Jesus. He came to save his people from their sins. And you need to repent of your self-righteous sin and come to the cross where you'll find mercy in Jesus Christ. A third lesson, we see the awful nature of sin. We see this solemn warning to religious people. But a third lesson is that Judas shows us we can expect to find hypocrites even among the followers of Jesus. Often when you're sharing the Lord with skeptics, they will say, well, I don't believe because of all those hypocrites in the church. Now, how do you answer that? Well, here's how you answer it. You say to them, You know, you're right. There are many hypocrites in the church. In fact, there are many hypocrites in the world, too. In fact, Jesus picked a hypocrite as one of his apostles, Judas. But that doesn't invalidate who Jesus is. And that's the key question. Is Jesus whom he claimed to be? And then as a final dig, you can say, and make sure you're not a hypocrite either. (laughs) Because we all are hypocrites in some way or another, aren't we? But you have to keep in mind, in the story of Judas, he didn't come into the room with his black coat on, twirling his mustache and saying, Ha, 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 I'm going to betray one. And all the others went, there's the villain. You know, if you've ever been to a melodrama, you know the minute the villain enters the stage, everybody goes, boo, you know, there's the villain. It wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. When Jesus announces one of the 12 will betray him, the other 11 didn't look down the table and go, there's the dirty rat. There's Judas. Instead, Matthew records that they all said, surely not I, Lord. Isn't that telling? Surely not I. And, and even, as John records, when Judas gets up and leaves the room to go do his dirty deed, they didn't all go, oh, yeah, it was Judas, all right. I think John was too stunned to say anything. I think in his mind he was reeling, thinking, no, no, it can't be Judas. I must have not understood Jesus rightly. And and Peter, if he got it, he you know, Peter usually blabs out something. He was stunned. He didn't say... It must have been Judas. Judas played his role perfectly. You know, everybody thought he was the great guy. Everybody thought he was Mr. Righteous. And hypocrites often fool others, but they never fool God because God looks on the heart. And we can't do that. We only look on the outward person, God looks on the heart. And I know we shouldn't be, but we often are shocked when you hear of some respected pastor or religious leader who falls and uh, either morally or denies the faith or whatever. But it never shocks the Lord. The Lord looks on the heart. And he warns the disciples in advance here so that Judas's defection won't shake their faith. But the point is, keep your focus on Jesus Not on any disciple of Jesus. Keep it on Jesus. He's the one that we trust in. So, we see the awful nature of sin. We see this solemn warning against hypocrites. We expect to find hypocrites in the church. A fourth lesson here is that Judas gives us a warning about our inner motives. You have to ask, why did Judas, for his part, become a disciple of Jesus? He could have said, nah, not interested. Why did he follow Jesus? I think probably he thought, I'll bet he's the Messiah, and he's going to set up a political kingdom. And with a political kingdom comes all the choice positions in the new administration, and I'd like to have one of them. I mean, even James and John, remember? They were vying to get, can one of us sit on your right hand, one on your left in the kingdom, Lord? They were they were trying for the top spots. And I think it's likely that Judas had aspirations of that. But now things weren't going so well. Instead of talking about his kingdom, Jesus seems to be focusing on his death. And all of the Jewish religious leaders aren't on board saying, yep, there's our Messiah, They're all speaking out against him. So things are going south, and Judas decides, I'm going to jump off this ship before it sinks and make a little bit to put in my pocket. So he goes and betrays Jesus for a few pieces of silver. But here's the application. Why do you follow Jesus? I think most of us, if we're honest, would have to say, I came to Jesus because I thought he could give me Fill in the blank. You know, peace, happy marriage, wonderful kids, good job, whatever. Most of us came in the door that way, I think. But then trials come. And things don't go as smoothly as you expected they would go. And instead of more blessings, to be honest, you got more trials. And the question is, then what do you do? Do you jump ship? You discover that the path that Christ called you to walk on involves a cross before it gives you the crown. And so the test again comes back to, well, who is Jesus? If he's who he claimed to be, then I've got to follow him, even if it means a horrible, tortuous martyr's death, as it has for many. If you're just in it for what you can get, you're likely to jump ship when things get hard. And then there's a final lesson. Judas shows us that we should never walk away from the opportunity to receive the love of Jesus Christ. I, as I said, I think Jesus loved Judas right to the end. He washed Judas's feet. He seats him in the place of honor. He gives him the morsel of honor. I think that in Jesus' eyes, in looking at Judas, he was appealing to him, Judas, you can repent, you can come to me. You know the story of Esau, it says in the book of Hebrews, he he couldn't find repentance even though he sought for it with tears. Uh, It might mean that he sought for the blessing with tears, that he really didn't want to repent. And here you have Judas. He felt remorse. That's why he went in and threw the money down in the temple and said, I betrayed innocent blood, but he didn't repent. Unlike Peter, Peter repented of his denial. Judas felt bad, but he never repented. And he went out and hanged himself. But the message is this. Don't walk away from the love of Jesus. No matter how badly you may have failed him, he still offers you forgiveness if you'll repent and come back to him. And he invites all thirsty sinners, come and take freely the water of life. It's almost the last verse in the entire Bible. And so Judas is here to teach us the bitter end of those who reject the offer of the love of God in Christ. But he's here also to say to you, don't do that. Receive the love of Jesus. He died on the cross for every sinner who will come and believe in him, and that can be you this morning. Alexander White was a great Scottish preacher who lived from 1836 to 1921. In his ministry, White would magnify the awfulness of sin, but also the graciousness of Christ. But often, White was more aware of his own sins than he was of the sins of others. And an event happened once where an evangelist came into Edinburgh where White was ministering. And uh, he was very critical of all of the ministers in Edinburgh. And a friend of White's went to hear this evangelist, and he told White, "...the evangelist said last night that Dr. Hood Wilson was not a converted man." And White jumped up from his chair and said, The rascal! Imagine, you know, to accuse Dr. Wilson of not being a converted man. And then after a pause, the friend said, He also said that you are not a converted man. Well, at that, White stopped short. He sat down. He covered his face in his hands, and he was quiet for a long time. And then he looked up, and he said, leave me, friend, leave me. I must examine my heart. And I think that's the message of Judas, or the effect the message of Judas should have on us, that we need to soberly examine our hearts before God. We need to make sure our faith is in Christ, that we're following him because he is eternal God in human flesh who died for our sins. Father, I pray that each of us would do business with you, that we would not look down the way and say, I always knew that guy was a Judas, but rather we would like the disciples say, Lord, is it I? Is it I, and that by your grace we all would stand in the righteousness of Christ through faith, that we would not try to present our own self-righteousness to you, because we have none, but as guilty sinners we would come and receive the mercy that you freely offer through the blood of Jesus to everyone who believes. I pray, Father, again, that your Spirit would search out our hearts and know us, reveal to us if there is some wicked way in us, and lead us in your everlasting way for Jesus' sake.